0: Welcome to the Pursue Whole Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Maurer, and in this podcast, I share my insights as a leadership coach and former therapist. I sit down with some of the highest level leaders in business, entertainment, and human performance to help you pursue wholeness in your work, life, and relationships. Thanks for joining me. Let's jump in. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pursue Whole Podcast. If you tuned in formally, we were looking at the importance of relationships and how it plays out in the life of the leader. So in a former episode, we looked at why relationships are so important to leaders. I truly believe that relationships are the currency of leadership, and if you don't have an emotional intelligence and a relational intelligence, you are going to struggle as a leader. We looked at some of the research behind this, especially around psychological safety, Project Aristotle with Google, and we identified. 10 dysfunctional relational issues that most leaders find themselves getting stuck in. So I am sitting down again with Kim today to go into more detail on one of these four types of relationships. Kim, welcome. Morning. So the first type that we're going to look at is called the stagnation, and that is really more of this codependent type. So typically we would define codependence as this idea of being too enmeshed or too connected, but how would you define codependence for us?
1: Yeah. So as you said, codependency does kind of have that view of enmeshment stereotypically, but true codependency often comes out of how do I maintain control and power in the relationship by keeping me safe? So, um, I'm not going to be overly vulnerable or ask for help or admit when I'm not doing well, because that could create waves in the relationship and I'm not really ready to handle
0: that chaos. Yeah. So let's get into this first type, the stagnation, even though it's a more codependent type. What are some other symptoms and descriptors of what this type typically looks like for the life of leaders and for couples?
1: Yeah, a lot of times uh, in this type of relationship, there's a sense of people-pleasing. Somebody can take on kind of the chameleon-type role in a relationship. So again, I'm going back to this place of I'm adjusting myself in order to make other people happy.
0: Yeah, we place our well-being into the hands of other people. And the way that I typically describe this is we have what's called an internal locus of control. Locus of control is what do I need? What do I want? Choices I want to make, my sense of personal empowerment. And what we do with that, instead of having that inside our own body and our own psyche, we actually give that out and I pass it over to someone else to hold that. So when they're not doing well, I'm not doing well. When work's not going well, I'm not doing well. When a boss or a leader is upset at me, I'm not doing well. So that internal locus of control becomes an external locus of control and we give it over to other people to control and manipulate how we feel oftentimes. Tell us a little bit more about what this type looks like.
1: Yeah. So oftentimes um, this person would struggle with a sense of I have nothing important to offer. right? My wants really aren't that valuable. The things I have to say probably don't have anything to give to the conversation. So that's what you're saying of I give over my locus of control to other people know it better. So I will just hand this off to others Mm -hmm. to make the decision and I will adjust accordingly.
0: So these people are really good at being a chameleon Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we'll talk about some of the benefits of that. But really, if you're more that chameleon type as a leader and you adjust to your environment, you adjust to what people need or want from you and you hold more of that chameleon type, you're probably gonna be more in this kind of codependent stagnation in relationship, always assessing what does my partner need from me? What does my executive leader need from me? And you'll fit that mold. But in doing that, you might lose a part of yourself and who you are and what you want and some of your dreams and desires. Mm -hmm. We
1: would kind of call this the yes man right? Uh, I very, very rarely say no, because um, I can handle it. I'll take on this extra thing just to make everybody else happy. If they're happy, I'm happy.
0: Yeah. And this causes a lot of issues in relationships, especially when you have two people who are more that codependent type. But how do we I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about family of origin and upbringing and how Mm -hmm. someone actually arrives at being more codependent in their relationship. Let's talk about what sets us up for that.
1: Yeah, we see quite a few things that could end up leading in this outcome. Uh, Some of them that I've seen pretty commonly are the whole children are better meant to be seen and not heard right? Or in a family where everyone is expected to have the same interests, the same image, we're all involved in the same activities. So it kind of creates this like perfect Christmas card family, right? Of we're all on the same page. We're always doing the same thing, but it doesn't ever allow differences or individuality in children. And so they very much end up learning, how do I adjust myself in order to fit in with this family?
0: Absolutely. And I see that a lot in family businesses. I see that when a parent is more narcissistic, Mm -hmm. um, or has a celebrity status or the family is very well known that. The children's responsibility is to hold, like you're saying, that image and that persona of a parent so you can never talk poorly about a parent because it disrupts their sense of image. And this happens a lot more in those high-level leaders, professional athletes, celebrities, or just people who are very well-known in in their certain surroundings. Another way that I see this come out, we've talked about this before, is when there is chaos in the home, whether there's divorce or there's substance abuse or there's conflict between a mom and a dad, a child will um, become very aware of what they need to do in order to resolve that conflict. So they either need to become funny or they need to get quiet or they need to please or distract a parent to kind of cause peace there. So what they learn in that, that moment is, wow, if I just change who I am, I can actually change people's mood states and that's safer for me. So what a child does is they start becoming that chameleon on what parents need, on what a brother needs or a sister needs in order to keep peace and calm in the family. And, and, and that actually feels safe for a child because they feel like they have a sense of power to change their environment. But in reality, that cost is actually the cost of themselves. They lose themselves. What are one or two more things that we see in family of origin that sets us up for codependence?
1: Yeah, largely what you're talking about is a kid who's taking on the emotional needs of others, right? Of a parent who tends to have a lot of waves, right? They might either struggle with anxiety themselves, they might go to the the child about a conflict with their spouse or a friend and almost seeking advice from the child. We would call this like a parentified child, so to speak. They grow up at a pretty young age, and they do it by taking on an adult role and becoming an emotional caregiver of others. And most often, we see that when they're taking care of the parents' needs, right? We can go more into what that would look like um, if they're taking care of a brother or sister and becoming a parent to the household. But in this, we really see the emotional needs of, um, of adults in their life.
0: Yeah, and specifically with this type, we've discussed that this, really the core of this is a fear of abandonment. It's a fear of people leaving, it's a fear of not being wanted, not being liked, and especially if you have parents that are emotionally immature or detached a child's basic need uh, actually a way to survive is to attach to a primary caregiver so if that caregiver is emotionally distant or they're working you know 60 or 70 hours a week or they're just traveling a ton and you can't get access to a mom or a dad to know what 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 you're feeling or to be connected um, that's very scary for a child. So they fear this idea of abandonment. And what they do is they, they lean really heavily over into, like we're describing, meeting the needs of those parents rather than sitting down and saying things like, hey, I feel sad, I feel lonely, can you come my direction? Um, and when they do that, they're often punished <laughs> for being honest about those feelings. Mm-hmm. So they often hide those and then they just become whatever those parents need them to be. So these are some, some ideas on how we might arrive here based on, you know, every single one of us has a story and every single one of us as a leader has difficulties within our past, but that does set us up for some of these, these relationships. So it's really important for us to know where we have come from, because that gives us an idea and clarity about why we're behaving in certain ways within relationships. So with this stagnation type, this more codependent type, there are some benefits to this. I mean, not all things are bad in these relationships. Let's talk about some of the unique benefits of people who are more and master codependent.
1: Yeah. In this relationship, there's a lot of really high highs, right? So, um, there is a really deep sense of connection and intimacy when things are going well, and they tend to make a really uh picture-perfect couple, right? They might overemphasize, whether it's on social media or just in their relationships, how well they're doing, because when they're doing well, they are doing well. They love each other deeply. They are very good at recognizing the emotional needs of others, and so they are able to maintain that sense of calm a lot of the time.
0: Mm. So from the outside, they're going to reveal that everything is going pretty well. Mm. Well, they pretty rarely show some of the cracks. and.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. they are a relationship that has waves, um, but the highs are high, and those are the parts that are put in the spotlight. mm
0: which is very common for leaders, for celebrities, for people who have a lot of eyeballs on them frequently that need to uphold kind of this image. And I think one of the other benefits of this that I've seen is that these couples actually spend quite a bit of time together. They're very in tune with what each other need, what each other want. And they actually have a very high emotional tolerance. So if you are more of a codependent type, you're used to carrying the emotions of others and you actually can handle quite a bit emotionally. Now, you can handle a lot of other people's emotions. <laughs> you can't handle a lot of your own personal emotions. But people are drawn to these types because they're oftentimes not takers. They're oftentimes givers. People feel comfortable in their environment and with them. So that is one of the benefits of of this type. So let's shift gears now and talk about some of the shadow sides though of this type. Where does this really break down for individuals and couples?
1: Yeah, so while they have those very high highs, they also have pretty low lows. And so this can create really explosive arguments when there's any disagreements. Um, A lot of jealousy tends to be prevalent and just overall sense of anxiety. So The highs are highs, but the lows are pretty chaotic when they do come up.
0: Mm. So what you're describing is this relationship that has this image of security. It looks secure, but once there's cracks or conflict, it becomes very destabilized fast and it becomes very insecure very quickly. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. And that insecurity really goes to that fear of abandonment, right? Of I'm worried about being alone, rejected, something happened and my partner's going to leave. Right. And it just, um, ends up all falling apart where then I end up clinging and trying to, uh, fix without ever really resolving what what the source of the
0: issue was. Mm -hmm. And these relationships can also get pretty hostile fast. You know, they can say like, we're going to break up or we're going to get a divorce. And then the next moment, as soon as it kind of trends in that direction, they quickly cling to each other. And there's kind of this honeymoon period and then conflict happens again. And it's this constant back and forth, these ruptures of, you know, it's not safe for me. I want to be out of this. But then very quickly they come back together and that pulling away and coming back together out of anxiety, it just causes a lot of distrust. It causes a lot of anxiety in the relationship and there's not a lot of stable grounding. In a lot of ways, you lose a sense of your identity in these types of relationships, right? Yeah, for sure. I
1: mean, there's very little um, true vulnerability where I'm able to express who I am, what I'm wanting from life, what I'm dreaming because I am spending so much time adjusting to the other person that I usually end up forgetting what I want or never really even being able to identify it to begin with because my wants are based on what other people want, right? So while there is a lot of connection and time spent, there's not a lot of really depth and intimacy
0: of truly being known and seen. And for a lot of people, if you're listening, This is often a very safe place to be. People can't hurt you. They don't know what you feel. People typically like you because you're molding and meshing to whatever the environment needs from you. But I want you to understand, though, this is a very lonely place to be, that you can't ever have deep intimacy the way you want there's often an overwhelming amount of fear to cause conflict within relationship or disappoint people and we oftentimes don't know what we want feel or need and that becomes very exhausting over time and it can cause a lot of mental health but also physical health issues as we're carrying all of that that baggage of the world around us so as a relational coach kim and that's primarily your role at Pursue Whole. You work with leaders, but you also work with relationships, helping them pursue wholeness. How would you take someone towards wholeness in, if they were struggling with this type of relationship?
1: Yeah. So when working with whether this is a couple or um, a work partnership, I'm helping people identify what is it that they want and how can they communicate those things to their partner without it causing this roller coaster? Right, We said we experienced these really high highs, but then these low lows afterwards. And we're trying to show that when we actually express what we're feeling and what we're needing, the relationship can tolerate the differences, right? And that builds safety Mm. of I'm not avoiding a conflict anymore because me expressing myself isn't going to lead to this roller coaster, Mm. right? So we're slowing it down enough to be able to go into those places of I'm expressing myself which goes partially, I know what I want, I know what I need, I'm exploring who I am as an individual. And that gives me the ability to say no, or I can't do that, because it's no longer aligned with who I am as a person.
0: That's great, yeah. So really helping someone figure out who they are as a person, and set boundaries around what they can do, but what they can't do, what they want to do and what they don't want to do, what they like and what they don't like. And I think a lot of leaders are very good at defining what they maybe want and what they need or what they like, but it's very difficult for them to say, I don't like this or I don't want this to really set those healthy boundaries. And just because we are getting healthier at saying no, doesn't mean that our environment is going to love (laughs) you know, us getting healthier in that area. Tell us a little bit about why it's going to be hard for us to learn those boundaries.
1: Yeah. It's hard to learn boundaries because we are so good at reading others and we are so good at avoiding conflict that people get used to the yes man. Right. And so when I start saying no, it creates frustration in them and I'm really quickly to lower those boundaries and say, "Okay, I don't actually need it that much. I can handle this my own on my own." Um, but we have to remind ourselves: the people that don't respect our boundaries, it's usually because they benefit from us not having any to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. And so the people in our life that really respect our boundaries, it's because they aren't needing from me anything in particular right? They are just there for me. And that's when I have the safety and freedom to express myself.
0: Mm, So us being unhealthy and more codependent has a benefit to other people in their life because they don't have to work so hard to develop something inside of themselves. They can always just rely on us fixing that for them. So when we say no and we pull back, it forces growth and maturity in people around us. Now you're going to see this a lot if you're part of a relationship or a marriage or you're part of a co-founder relationship. As soon as you pull back, like you're describing, there's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some fires, but just know that everyone is, everyone grows through pain. We we grow through pain, we grow through distress. So just know this is actually the most loving thing you can do for people in your life because it's actually helping them mature and grow in ways that they wouldn't if you just picked up their feelings or you picked up their needs or you just did everything for them. So this is hard off the front end, but it's really beautiful as you go through this process, not only for you as an individual, but really for the maturity and growth of people in your life as a whole. One area that I wanna bring up as well is that healthy relationships come about by having fractures and then repairs. Let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing of there is no really wonderful and healthy relationship that never has conflict, right? That usually means we are two of the same person and that just does not exist. So a true healthy relationship are people with their own independent wants, needs, values, beliefs, all of these things, and they're able to turn towards each other and say, hey, this is something that I really care about. Like, what do you think about this? And we're able to have a dialogue, and there's allowed to be differences. Sometimes differences are uncomfortable, and that creates a fracture or misunderstanding, and that can be really uncomfortable. But the repair afterwards is being able to say like, hey, even though we're different, Right. I still value in all these ways. Right. I have learned more about you and I understand uh, that we don't have to be the same in order to be in a healthy relationship. And so those repairs actually help us become more known and more understood rather than I'm putting forward this chameleon that's really easy to love because you're really just a mirror image
0: of the other person Mm. so important that if we don't have fractures we can't have intimacy and if we don't have repairs we can't have intimacy so really what you're describing is this more codependent type they fear those fractures but they fail to recognize that those fractures and repairs actually develop the intimacy and the connection that they're really looking for i think on a practical level as well Being able to take some time as a leader and step back and write down what do you need, what do you want, and what are your non-negotiables. Get out a piece of paper and actually write those things down. And if you have a difficult time figuring out, gosh, what, what do I need, who am I, because you've been so used to just being what everyone wants you to be as that chameleon, I would actually go back and try to think of a time as a child when you felt you were your most natural self, maybe before a a specific trauma, maybe before a moment when your parents got divorced or there was chaos in the home. And you think through, what was I like as a child? Was I more quiet? Was I more reserved or more outspoken? Was I humorous or were were I more intelligent? And really looking at who was I before a lot of that chaos and where has that part of me gone? That can sometimes be really helpful to define who I am, to look at yourself as a child or to look at some old pictures of yourself and, and get an idea on what you were like as a child. Because as leaders, as we go through life, we assume the responsibilities that everyone wants us to be, and we assume the identity that everybody needs us to be instead of really tapping into who we are. So take some time, step back, process what Kim and I are discussing, get out a piece of paper, write down those needs and wants, non-negotiables, and set those healthy boundaries. So Kim, next time we're gonna talk about this second type, which is called the void, which is a little bit different in that we have two couples or two individuals who are really distant. They're not codependent and mesh. They actually have a large distance in between them and there's a lot more detachment. Thanks everybody for joining in today. If you want to learn more about these four types and have a broad overview, that came out on our last episode and stay tuned for the episodes to come. Our next one, we will talk about the void, which which is quite different than this type where this type is more codependent. The void is much more detached. There's a large distance between them and they really lack that sense of connection and intimacy. So if you're struggling as an individual, you find yourself in this more codependent style of operating, it might be really helpful for you to sit down with a coach and do a deep dive on where do you come from? How does this play out in your life and how to really identify what you need and want and who you are? And that's work that you can do with both Kim and I as coaches, but the unique feature of Kim is that she's also a relational coach. So if you have a relationship, whether it's a spouse or a partner or a co-founder, and you want to work on these dynamics, you see this playing out specifically in your relationship, I would encourage you to reach out to Kim. Kim, your email is kim at pursuehole.com. You can also review Kim's bio at pursuehole.com as well. So Kim, thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah, It's great to be here.
0: Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, links, and show notes, visit pursuehole.com and click podcast. Before we go, it would be extremely helpful if you would please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you find this podcast. This helps me understand my audience better and serve more leaders such as yourself. That's it for me this week. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or other social platforms. And I'll be back next week with another episode of the Pursue Whole podcast.